Welcome back to the Hey Roadie podcast, where we take a deep dive into the Ocean State. We are your hosts, Nick and Sasha, and this is the seventh episode of our Who to Watch series, and our Who to Watch series is sponsored by Pepito Opportunity Connection. Pepito Opportunity Connection is a nonprofit private foundation dedicated to listening and working together with Rhode Island's Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities to empower and create individual success stories by investing in education, job skills training, and entrepreneurial ventures. Yay! Thank you so much, Pepito. This is great. Um, this episode, um, we in the past we've never had a two-person who to watch episode. I don't think. I don't think so. Because it would have only have been House of Codec, and it was yeah, and we only had one person we had on the Jim. episode. Yeah. Yep. yep. So this is so fun. This is a two-person um, episode. We were joined by two people from the Southside Community Land Trust. We were joined by Rochelle, who is the board president, and Margaret, who is the executive director. Um, I will say I didn't go. I, I've heard of the Southside Community Land Trust. I follow them like on Instagram. I know their vibe, but I didn't know like the history and what exactly they do. Mm-hmm. So when we featured them on Who to Watch, it was exciting for me to get to learn a little bit more. And then having them here today, I learned so much and I'm so happy we got to talk to them. Yeah, it's like uh, I think when there's a a system similar, like like Southside Community Land Trust, Mm -hmm. where like they do one part of it, but it fuels another part. Yeah, uh, it's hard from the outside to know exactly who does what. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm pretty interested in like just kind of the whole world of like farming and food production and where things come from and like knowing how things got to your supermarket and all that. So when we do run into a, uh, a person to talk to that, that is part of the subject, I get pretty excited about it. So I think this one was really interesting. Yeah, I think so too. And I think having, and I said this, um, you know, we were, when we were talking, like having them both on was so great because Southside Community Land Trust does so much Mm -hmm. in a, in, in is a big picture. I loved having both of them on because you got to hear different experiences, different uh, missions, because you can work for one company that does all these things, but like have a focus on one or a focus on the other. I think both of them are pretty broad in their focus. Like they both were experts in everything that Southside Community Land Trust does. Mm-hmm. But it was just fun to hear like an experiment, I'm mean, experiment, geez Louise, an experience in hearing different voices comment on exactly what they do and what it means to the community and all that, which I loved. Yeah, and it was uh, you know a classic version of our podcast where we meander all over the place and we talk about different things. Yes. Um, you know, especially when you have two guests on and they mm-hmm. have different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's fun to kind of you know look under go. the hood and see where things come. come yeah, I, I started being like, we're going to talk about both of your backgrounds first, and then we'll talk about the com- com- combination. It did not go that way. <laughs> so we got to talk a little bit about Margaret's background first. We talked about like the mission and the work behind Southside Community Land Trust. And then we finished it off hearing the um, history from Rochelle and her uh, family and what brought them to Rhode Island. So it was a, it was so fun. The whole conversation was amazing. They were both unbelievably smart, inspiring and hardworking people. And they're doing great things for Providence. Yeah, and I think everybody's going to enjoy it. And uh, lastly, before we uh, let you get into yeah, the episode, yeah, yeah. Um, 
as you will have heard in the past couple of episodes, we do finally have a, a date. We got and a party. Information for the <laughs> Who to Watch Party. Um, once again, Who to Watch Party is sponsored by Pepito Opportunity Connection, and we thank them for being a partner with yeah, us. Yeah, thank you so much. The party is going to be April 18th from 6 to 9 p.m. P.M. <laughs> from 6 to 9 p.m. at uh, Rooftap. Rooftap. Holy crap, I can't talk. Rooftap. We're going to do that again. 6 <laughs> to 9 p.m. at Rooftop at the Providence G. Um, the tickets will be available. Um, if you're listening to this, they're available. You can hop onto our website, providenceonline.com. Yeah. There'll be a link there. You can uh, follow it to the Eventbrite page, grab yourself a ticket. Um, it'll be really fun. You can come and meet, um, the wonderful folks who are part mm-hmm. of our Who to Watch yep. and, uh, you know, have a couple drinks, get to yeah. talk to other people, have a little bite to eat, maybe yes, listen yes, to some yes. music. It'll yeah. be a, a really fun time. We so love that. We, love we that. hope to see everybody there and uh, enjoy this episode. Yeah. See you guys later. Bye. Beautiful. Just to say that we're here. With two wonderful people. I'm going to read your title so I don't get them wrong because, like I told you before, I have the memory of a goldfish. So, Margaret is the executive director and Rochelle is the board president of the Southside Community Land Trust. Yes. I'm so glad that you both are here. We're glad. I'm glad to be here. Yes, we are. You're not. <laughs> You're like, I'm just trying not to speak for both of you. <laughs> just trying, trying. That's, that's, that's smart. And I feel like agriculture, I know not a lot about i learned a lot from reading this article about you you're part of our who to watch um but i'm excited to hear about what you have going on this is i think this is amazing so margaret we're gonna start with you can you tell us a little bit about are you from rhode island originally uh no she's detroit (laughs) that's okay detroit traitor so how did how did how did you end up in rhode island oh um uh I brought her here. <laughs> you did? <laughs> yeah, she did. She oh did. Uh-huh. Um, I uh, um, lived in Michigan, and mm-hmm. I was I lived and worked in Detroit, and okay. that's where I got my dog. All, all the dogs that I rescued from the streets. Oh my god! <laughs> all came from Detroit, oh my god. and um, uh, I got married, mm-hmm. and my husband's family is from New England. Oh. And um, we decided to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Let's go out to New England and see what we can make of things. Mm. And um, I started looking around and I found this lovely person oh. and the Southside Community Land Trust. Amazing yeah. organization. Yeah. And it was a fit. So I started working here and we decided that Providence was where we were going to relocate. I love this. That. Yeah. Nice. So how long have you been in Rhode Island? Eleven years, twelve years. Yeah, about eleven. About I just 11 assume years. everyone's wow. from Rhode Island. I'm just like, you're from here. We love you. You're from here. <laughs> Most people who say they are, yeah. aren't either. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, because it's so easy to move here and just be ingrained in like the Rhode Islandness of Rhode Island. Because I feel like there's not a lot of other states where you live that it's just like everyone who lives here has at least one or more shirts that say like. Rhode Island, Providence, clam cakes. Like, we are very all about, like, we're all in on being like, you're not sure where I'm from, read it on my (laughs) t-shirt. Even though I live here, I'm here every day. I have all of my clothes say where I'm from. And I think that's really special. (laughs) That's funny because I send friends of mine out of state shirts for Rhode Island and Providence. Because it's so cute. After they're mailed, I think to myself, 
I wonder if they'll appreciate this. <laughs> yeah, right. What Providence? Not as much as they'll you say would. Providence, Illinois, or yeah. Providence, <laughs> Mississippi. Which, what Providence are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what, Rochelle? A couple of years ago, I got to the office and there was a t shirt on my desk that said Hard Rock Cafe, Detroit. And it said, it said, hope you enjoy this, love R. And I don't even know if I've ever asked you. Was that from you? Yes, it was. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I oh love god. it. I was actually in Detroit, and at I think Hard Rock's gone now, isn't it? I, I probably, but I was in Detroit for a meeting, and uh, you know, being in Detroit, I thought about of Margaret course. being there and what it must have been like to live in Detroit yeah. for real, like all day. Um, <laughs> and you you went to Detroit with a Rhode Island mentality, and you're like. Margaret needs oh, to have a shirt, shirt from where she's from. Right. She needs to display where she's from. Especially now that she's not here. Exactly. Right. I could have got her a Detroit Lion one, but I felt that was too insulting. Well, and that's the thing, too. In, in most states, you get, like, the Hard Rock Cafe t-shirt or, like, um, you know, Rainforest Cafe yeah, yeah, or the, yeah. the sports team. But, like, you don't, unless you're at the airport, you're not yeah. going to find, like, a, a Michigan t-shirt right. or, like, a, you know, South Carolina just t-shirt that just says South Carolina on it for no reason. Yeah. Rhode Island, you walk around and everybody's wearing Everyone. Providence or Rhode Island or yeah. whatever. And it's the best thing. And I own all of them. I, I can, I have a surplus. Do you have I, the one that, the one that is the tech, the imitation of the Texas one? What is that one? Oh, I don't have that one. It's like, um, like. Don't mess with Texas, and then the bottom says like or oh, Rhode Island either, or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a frog and toad shirt. I oh, see it, it okay. constantly. I don't own that one, mm. unfortunately, mm. but I own all the basically all the other ones. When I go to like the Providence flea market, I just like go to each booth and I'm like, ooh, another Providence shirt, ooh, another Rhode Island shirt. Because <laughs> right. I'm so proud. Anyway, again, see what we said about I the tangents. Digress. They just go we on digress. and on forever. <laughs> so you moved from Detroit to Providence. Yeah. How mm -hmm. was that? transition um when i first moved we moved to providence mm. and um we lived in wayland square oh. and it was very it was just precious yeah it was just really precious very sweet mm. yeah i mm -hmm. love that yeah um and uh but but it, it's not it you know i'm not in the midwest anymore what is I'm not in Kansas. I'm not in Kansas anymore. Toto, we're not in Kansas. Scarlett, we're not in Kansas anymore. Right. Right. So, you know, it's very different. But I love, I love Rhode Island. Mm. I love it. Um, the We're not paying her to say this, that she loves Rhode Island. I mean, <laughs> the, the water everywhere. The water There's everywhere. There's a lot of nature. The this, beautiful city. The be Providence is gorgeous. It's really beautiful buildings and um, people and mm -hmm. the built environment. It's just. And you can get. The best of all the worlds in a short forty-five minute drive. Oh, yeah. yeah, and I, easily. You know? I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it, you guys. I'm gonna bring us in. Tell us, please. <laughs> mm -hmm. do so it. one of the things that I got to experience, you may not have noticed that Southside Community Land Trust is the only who to watch. That's a community. Mm -hmm. That's not a person. That's amazing. Yeah, I it did is. Not, I did not put that together. And whoever made that decision mm -hmm. i don't know who made that decision for the who to watch it but they're brilliant because that's exactly what it is yeah. and and that's what i've been able to be a part of this mm -hmm. really strong community of people yep. who care deeply about um making fresh healthy affordable food mm -hmm. available making green space available for yep. for people who really it's just mm -hmm. a scarcity yeah and we all deserve that we all mm -hmm. should have that mm -hmm. we all shouldn't have to overpay mm -hmm. by the way we all are mm -hmm. um but certainly um 
being able to be a part of Community Southside Community Land Trust has been, uh, you know, obviously one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Oh my God. Can you believe I it? Love that. Wow. It really <laughs> is. Like it's so funny beautiful. you should bring that up too because um, we actually, uh, a few years ago, it used to be called Tend to Watch was mm-hmm. the name of like the program and we changed it to who to watch because we wanted to include i don't remember what it was the first time around but it was a group yeah, yeah. and then we were like but then it's not a ten. group has more than yeah one person there in it so go. then it's not mm-hmm. 10 to watch anymore so we started calling it who to watch um and we haven't i don't think every year we've included a group but or a community but um it has opened that that option and yeah i'm, I'm actually glad that you noticed that, <laughs> that as well. yeah that is so great and then and then and so being part of the community but also being part of the community that's advancing this mission Mm. but also building on that beauty yeah i mean the gardens are beautiful yeah the Mm. farms are beautiful yeah i mean they're messy come on well they're farms (laughs) they're farms and gardens right yeah Yeah, but there's dirt everywhere there's right and you know right (laughs) you can't escape it but um what the green space does in you know really hard concrete environments mm-hmm. where you know there's it's houses and driveways and streets mm-hmm. um and it's a little bit of landscaping yeah but when you move from that into mm-hmm. one of the farms or gardens it's yeah. just it's trans it, your, your whole self can transform and um it's just been nice to be part of um being able to grow that yeah you know because the organization's over 40 years old mm-hmm. and i've been there um, I've been part of it for about 10 years, 11, yeah. but Lord, there's a yeah. huge legacy there. And this woman ne- next to me <laughs> is, um, could probably speak more to that than me. Can you really quick, we're going to take a step back for one second, just because I think this is a perfect place to mention it. For people, listeners who don't know about what exactly Southside Community Land Trust does, do you mind explaining in like the layman's terms? So people, as we continue talking about it, they're like, oh, I understand this better. <sighs> They're pointing. They're well, uh, for me, not as so much as a, a person who's engineering the day-to-day work mm-hmm. that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it started out as really a way to salvage uh, the uh, trauma and the in, and the impact that vacant lots had mm-hmm. all throughout the neighborhood at the time. Southside was probably thirty or forty percent of their. Buildable lots were vacant, houses burned down, yep. what have you. And so a group of young people, I think mostly from Brown, but from the neighborhood, mm. decided to cultivate those lands since nobody else cared and yep. someone else claimed it. And in doing that, they sort of opened this Pandora's box, which meant that a lot of folks from the neighborhood saw that as one of the things they, they they were familiar with. If you came from the South, you were generally speaking, you had some relationship with agriculture. Yeah. There was farming or, you know, grandmother's chicken farm. Yeah, or whatever. planting in some right. aspect. And, so, so, the, so people's eyes lit up, literally. And there was like, oh, wow, I can grow my green beans. I can grow my butter beans, you know. Yeah. Um, and so from that became a smaller community that was mostly interested in growing food. Mm-hmm. And... And, and having some say in the food that they were able to, to access. And then over time, it grew into a land use issue where we found that if we wanted to support more people, we would have to have more land. Mm. And the way we had been getting it in the past was mostly surplus salvage land, things yep. people didn't care much about. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of environmental concerns we had to learn about, you know, like lead in the soil and 
bad things happening to you if you eat poison. Uh, eat poison beans. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, critters, you know, a lot of complaints about rats and mice mm-hmm. and, you know, you're attracting, you know, the image that people have yeah. around farming. And it, some of it was culturally driven. Some mm-hmm. of it was just, you know, colloquial, you yeah. know, if you want to be important you can't be a farmer if you want to be smart you can't be a farmer you know things of that nature because uh, the stigmatism towards farming was was pretty intense i mean it was a source of a lot of oppression yeah you ran into the uh what are they called the nimby people yeah a little bit backyard people but different nimby in a sense that it was uh it was a feeling in many cases that having a garden or a group of gardeners or people who are strangers working together on on the land uh, gave the wrong impression I see. to people who were driving by. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, those poor farmers, and I'm trying to be middle class, and yeah. I'm trying to, you know, I, I got see. three cars in the driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you? Um, so we had a stigmatism mm-hmm. of, of that nature, and then there were stigmatisms around who was in the garden. You know, where are these, you know, Cambodian people coming from? And, yeah. Or, or I don't even know if people really understood their nationality. They just would say they're not they're not American yeah. or mm-hmm. or they're not Italian or they're not, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so the community that we started working with um, uh, flourished, blossomed, became more uh, intentional. Mm-hmm. And then we decided to start working on the infrastructure around land use. There was no zoning for gardening. So you really, you know, someone bought the lot, they could relatively take it from you and do whatever you they wanted mm-hmm. or, if we, you know, bought a lot and said we only want a garden, they want to charge us the same tax that they would charge if there was a house on if it. There was house, yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you know, we had a lot of navigating you around had the to infrastructure. Climb up a lot of hills. Right. And then over time, um, uh, especially after Margaret came, uh, we just started really looking at it from a bigger picture, more mm-hmm. from a satellite than from the ground up. Yeah. And it's like, what would the world be if we had? healthy food in every store mm. what if we had healthy stores in every community yeah. you know things of that nature and yeah. we realized that it was we'd have to change as an organization um the community we serve would have to uh be broadened probably more diversified mm-hmm. um the neighborhood itself was changing it was at one point pretty destitute and uh the physical physicality of the neighborhood was pretty much centered around institutional growth like lifespan in the hospitals mm-hmm. and you know a couple of universities and stuff but the infrastructure of the neighborhood the schools weren't that great yeah. libraries were floundering so all the things that make a healthy community were sort of on a on a string mm-hmm. so um so we eventually uh put all as many people as we could in the room like the officials local people leaders social services human services health yeah. and dem those guys and sort of came up with a, a general strategy that some of it was farmed out like mm. fresh farm and places like that we mm. have a policy council on food those all those entities didn't really exist uh, 15 or 20 years ago. And once you sort of seed one part of the infrastructure, it kind of takes off on its Mm. own. So we see the fresh food people, we see the policy people, but we're not trying to be leaders in those communities. We're Mm. trying to just be leaders in our own communities. So we moved from Providence to Central Falls to protected places like that. I I have a quick question. At what point did it go from like, uh, oh, 
um, people in the community want to grow food and here's some places we can do it and start working together to like Southside Community Land Trust as an entity like coming to be. Was that like when you started when people started running into like legal trouble or zoning trouble or? Uh, well, I think when it started was when we the name itself was when we wanted to do a greenhouse. You'll see there's a city farm. That was probably our first large piece of land, and mm. it was by friends, basically people who lived next door, bought the land and cultivated it yeah. and then built a um, a greenhouse on it, which stands today as where our plant sale is usually featured at. Um, and so you had to sort of call yourself something, yeah. and I think uh, Deb and the folks who founded it, who lived next door, <laughs> decided <laughs> to call it Southside Land Trust. Yeah. I'm not sure if they were aware at the time that the term land trust had a legal definition or mm -hmm. any of that, mm -hmm. but I think it helped them kind of explain who they were to mm -hmm. the neighbors. Um, for a long time, the neighborhood kind of perceived him as, you know, highly educated, hippy dippy, you know, <laughs> nice people from other yeah. towns that yeah. had choices. And when they get tired of us, they'll just take off and pursue their careers. As as it turns out, many of them did not do that. Many of them became stakeholders. They yeah. still live in Providence. They still live in Rhode Island. Um, Come to find out the community itself doesn't have one kind of characteristic. It's across a lot of sectors, mm. whether it's foreign-born folks uh, like in the African Alliance. Uh, most of their farmers are from specific countries, yep. so they grow specific crops mm -hmm. um, or try to, you know, cultivate that side of the food sector. Yeah. Um, then we then we started looking at, you know, volume, you know, how greening in general um made a difference in the environment mm -hmm. long a little bit before people understood environmental justice as a term yeah but we understood that you know when it rained and south side it flooded it not like you know barrington or wherever where the water went into the sewer lines. yeah 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 um we understood that you know kids were going to school hungry mm -hmm. and coming home hungry mm -hmm. um we understood that elderly particularly those who are fragile or, or vulnerable uh, probably couldn't afford the food nutrition that they needed. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of morphed a little bit into, um, you know, what else can we bring to the table to mm -hmm. help solve some of these problems? I don't think we had a theory in our head at the time of what the land trust would become. Mm -hmm. We just sort of wanted to make a space in this whole, you know, metropolitan area of social services because those, those are the guys who are getting a lot of um, – a lot of attention or and, just and, a standard. And yeah, I think I want to just build on what Rochelle is saying because um, what we do mm. is we start with land. Yeah. And we we have a couple farms where our staff does production. Mm -hmm. But mostly all the land that we own or manage, other people are growing food. Community. So they're either growing food for their families and community mm. gardens or they're growing food for sale to their neighbors at either the urban or rural farms. Oh, so okay. most of the work, the actual food work, yeah. is done by community. Okay. community. Yeah. And we and Rochelle and I and all the staff and board and volunteers, our job is to help facilitate mm. that. And so we do that by getting land. We build out the land. Yeah. You know, we put the fences on. We put the irrigation, and we we buy the tractors and mm -hmm. teach people how to use tractors. 
fundamentally, that's what we're doing. We're facilitating other people to grow food. We're also helping them market it. And that's what the new food hub is all about. So at um, the food hub that we built in South Providence, many of the pretty small scale growers that Mm -hmm. are on the properties that we manage, they grow food, they drop it off at our food hub, and we help get it to market. And oftentimes that market is a veggie RX program. So we work with healthcare, we work with... um, Rhode Island Hospital, mm-hmm. we work with Clinica Esperanza, we work with other community organizations, we mm-hmm. work with Integra, which is a health management company for Lifespan, and um, they prescribe vegetables mm-hmm. to patients, and we drop off you the drop vegetables off. at people's homes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the So the whole idea is getting the connection between the farmer and the people in South Providence, Pawtucket Healthy, mm-hmm. Central Falls, healthy food. Yep. And it started, you know, it starts with little tiny steps. Yeah. You know, it started with farmer's markets, getting people onto farmer's right. markets. Yep. Mm-hmm. But what's been going on is farmers that we work with, yeah. they have to grow and sell mm-hmm. every single piece of food you know it's just Mm -hmm. it's absurd so it's not likely we moved out of i mean we're still supporting people in farmers markets but that's why we built the the food hub so that we have an aggregation distribution center can i ask uh like a chicken or the egg kind of question when you were Mm -hmm. talking about how south side community land trust like manages the properties um builds out new properties purchases new properties that type of thing um is it you folks find a property that is available purchase it and build out on it and then find somebody to farm it or do you buy it because you have applications from farmers for land Every, both. both ways yeah, yeah. i mean yeah. yeah right we always have people who want more land yeah. there's never been a moment where there hasn't been a list is it yeah. like in a like a established like application system like say somebody uh, you get a group that comes in and uh, is looking to recreate because uh you have a large group from a certain let's say african area or something mm-hmm. that are coming in and they want to recreate their um uh, type of vegetables or fruits or what, what have sometimes you. sometimes when we have a lot of properties people we do apply um mm. pe- people mostly just put their names on a wait list ah. and gotcha. um and we do more of a a matchmaking system oh, okay. than sort of a formal you have to write mm-hmm. you know write out a full application but sometimes we do yeah ask we do have like a parcel that has so much demand that we sit with people and we we try to structure something that's a little bit more formal but most gotcha. of the time it's just it's more matchmaking than yeah. mm-hmm. application um thank you both so much for describing and what exactly you all do because it's so interesting it's to me it's always so interesting to hear how an organization like starts and like where it builds up to and obviously we have so much to talk about like where what 2023 is going to bring but Mm -hmm. i think hearing about how like it started with land it started with giving space to people to like plant their plants and to Mm -hmm. eat their produce is like such a it's such a uh, beautiful thing to do in a city like in any city well, it's um, kind of so we had another the who to watch Quatia. Yeah, um, she has the the urban farm at yeah, her yeah, own yeah. home, and that was kind of what started that too. Was that right. she yeah. grew up in an area where you could walk around and everybody grew different stuff yeah, in the yeah. neighborhoods, and right. it was normal. And that's kind of what you were talking about earlier. That like um, that was a thing that was just lacking, and that's mm. kind of a, a need that the land trust is kind of filling as well. Yeah, and I think the pressure to 
conduct this type of work mm. has uh, grown exponentially as the food system itself has gotten more commercialized, mm-hmm. more capitalized, mm-hmm. more yeah. consolidated. And um, small farms uh, don't have the same level of playing field. Yeah. So we get a lot of food that's processed. Um, we get a lot of food that people would not normally eat mm-hmm. other than the fact that they see it on television. And we get a lot of nutritional issues that come from that. Yeah. Uh, certainly, you know, we even as we talk to folks at United Healthcare or some of the community health workers, you know, they they complain about, you know, in the Latino community, in the Asian community, for example, rice is a really significant staple. Well, suddenly we find it's rice is not healthy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> because they've you know, they've done modifications to the yep. to the rice yeah, itself. It's so so you know, so you have two hands, you know, sort of the familiar hand, which mm. is, you know, I have greens and rice and beans and things that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And you trust that they're the same product they were twenty years ago. And now today we not. find out yeah. they're they may not even be domestically grown uh, for that matter. Uh, certainly it's they're wild. So we got so you know, as we've uh, evolved, so too has the industry around mm-hmm. food insecurity yep. and food itself. And as uh, you know, when I went to school as a young kid, I think I, my parents probably sent lunch with us when we came home or went home to eat lunch. Now everybody eats lunch in the cafeteria except the teachers yep. know better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, yeah. that'll tell you right there. When you go down to the cafeteria, you don't see any adults eating. You know that the food is not right. Probably. Or if you look in the trash can, you see, you know, 80% of the food that they took was in the trash. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, I work in the school district. So, you know, halfway through the day, you know, kids popping in the door. I'm mm-hmm. hungry. Can you do you got anything in the, what do you have in your drawer? You know, yeah. so we know hunger itself is a pretty, yeah, we had a, a we have a really, um, we have one program we haven't mentioned yet, which is our youth staff program. Yeah. So we do workforce development and, um, job training mm-hmm. in the summertime and after school, um, for kids in high school. Wow. And one of the things that they do during the summertime yeah. is they harvest their own food. Oh and we have worked with the city parks department who has bought sort of the staples, the rice, the meats, mm-hmm. the flowers. And the city actually has bought the vegetables too. Mm. And then they turn it over to us and the kids oh make God. their own, they make their own right. Um, summer lunch program. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. It has That's been really so cool. cool. And um, yeah. even in the even in the um, uh, pandemic, they were doing Zoom mm. summer lunch where we would take the Zoom camera into the kitchen and kids would be at home oh, making no. it. Oh, they would cool. come get That's their amazing. boxes yeah. and they would be at home making it at home and sharing it with I their family. Can be like that's just what you know. It was. That's what kids need to be doing. That's what we all need to be doing. Especially well, during that time. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's really cool, too, because so, one, um, they're getting good food, which is always a plus. Um, but, two, like, everyone in the modern world, I'm going to say everyone as a colloquial term, but everyone in the modern world is so divorced from where our food comes from. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. like, just the fact that even if it's not a monster group of kids, a huge group of kids, 
um, there's a group of kids learning, like yeah. actually knowing that like there is this big long process to mm-hmm. how food gets from dirt to your plate, right. and that's that's huge because there's adults walking around that just assume that something shows up in a supermarket. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you, know? you know what else we're divorced from is weather, and mm. you think you're not divorced mm-hmm. from weather because you think it's cold or I need my umbrella and yep. my shoes, but but we at Southside Community Land Trust we have like six week periods where we can do things do and then things. and then because the yep. planet is revolving it changes the sun, mm-hmm. we we can't do that anymore yeah. we can't do it anymore. well it's and, funny yeah. because i like i mean i would consider myself a smart a smart person but sometimes you know things kind of like and i was listening to a podcast about how a podcast yeah about how like similar to what you were saying how things are so far removed from where they started because like strawberries should not be available all year round. Like you should not be able to go to Whole Foods no or fruit. or anything and right. buy strawberries right. like all year round. And I, I didn't even. I mean, it's sugar been my is the whole same. Life. Sugar is the same way. At yeah. one point, because of the harvesting season, we knew mm-hmm. that sugar would only be available from the fall till early, maybe depending on how you stretch it out. Yeah. So your body wasn't getting sugar every day, all day, 20, 365 days a year. It's crazy. And bit by bit, as we modified that connection between the way our body is tuned into the weather, into the yeah. to the, to the cycle of the world's business, mm-hmm. um, you know, bifurcating that, jumping over that to say for this lux for this, I don't know, the argument of comfort or, yeah. or convenience, that seemed to be a progress. I mean, there are all these euphemisms for basically finding a way to extract bad things things out of good things yeah yeah well i just like it's something that you should think about but i i was listening and i was like oh my god like yeah that's crazy and i wouldn't even i couldn't even tell you when strawberries are supposed to be i think in the summer but like yeah well let me tell you how it works tell me the monday after mother's day yeah you come to the south side community land trust city farm which is 168 West Clifford. You come uh-huh. on the Monday after Mother's Day. Yeah. And you'll and get. you buy your plants. You buy buy your strawberry starts, yep. you buy your basil, you buy your tomato, and, you buy your peppers. Mm-hmm. 20,000 plants we grow for people to come and buy and you plant them in your home, in your garden or yep. in your containers. Yep. They're all heirloom or they're all chemical free. They're all the best quality plants you can get right. anywhere. And we throw in a compost. Oh yeah, right. And you get okay. your soil. You can yes. pick up you can pick up your soil there too. Yeah. yeah. So cuz you need Tell you me. need healthy soil. I thought you were going to say you need help. <laughs> no, yes, but I this do. is a thing people also don't true. think about. You need healthy you soil need healthy to grow soil. healthy yeah. plants. So we also, you can pick up your compost at oh that time. Gosh. So you can get your plants, you get your compost, you take it home, and you have your garden. You can mm. start your garden. Don't start too big if you're not used to gardening. But if you go a little bit, a little bit at a time, you'll be like every other gardener and farmer that I've ever met, which is... Which is why we have the wait list. Everyone's like more land, more land. But you got to start slow because if you start too fast, you yep. get discouraged. Yeah, mm-hmm. just a couple of just a couple of plants because you yeah. have to develop your own stamina mm-hmm. to do it. And you need to learn like and your yeah. schedule. Am I going to remember to water this plant? What can I? 
plan right, that right. is durable because I will forget. So I need to plan around right. that. Yeah. It's like me. Yeah. I, I mean, just to be real, um, I think, too, what you were saying about how it this all started was finding lots that, like, weren't being used and were empty and creating, like, life. Mm -hmm. And for the community to right. see that and to e even if they weren't a part of it directly, like, planting, just right. to be, like, walking to school and, like, seeing growth and seeing greenery yeah. and seeing all like that yeah, versus right. the burnt up right. old building that yeah like that's such a <laughs> yeah. that's like a such a right. big thing i can and then I the, would imagine and the community itself elmwood in particular but elmwood south side i mean the city in general yeah there's a lot of trees a lot of plantings that people kind of just take for granted mm. um you'd be surprised the number of fruit trees in the city mm. uh no you know we all heard, of, you know, we all know about maple and elm and all this yeah. stuff, but the ver variation of, of uh, plants and, and uh, green space in the city is pretty pretty amazing. And then, of course, rescuing some of the riverworks be to back to their natural courses mm. has helped in general the city's uh, atmosphere yeah. and its environmental future. But I think what what happens is when people connect back to the land and back to how the food that they eat gets to them and then look at the other side of the ledger and look at their health issues, yeah. you know, whether it's diabetes or heart condition or, you know, hypertension, um, trauma. Even, e even depression and anxiety. I was going to say fatigue, like eating right. bad food for your, you right. know, there's so many things that right. affects that yeah. and, and having an opportunity right. to change that right. is like, you know, and we're so in a cool. we're, we're sort of in a foot race with the, with the fast food folks. Mm. I mean, if you sometimes if I'm traveling, I can pretty much figure out the the general demographics and the income uh, characteristics of a neighborhood just by counting the number of liquor stores mm. and uh, fast foods and believe it or not, dry cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> so, and and part of that is because where I grew up in the, in the city. Yeah. Those are like the only th things I could buy. Yeah. I could go to the, I could go to the liquor store. I can go to the, I can get my clothes clean. Mm. But then I would have to go to a bodega or small, yep. you know, small, or get in a car and drive to a supermarket. If, yeah. If, if if you know if I had a car or access to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean the the cost of something like fast food being so cheap for the most part. Right. Um, is some uh, sometimes or a lot of times all that certain people yeah. can afford. To yeah. you, can you can feed a family of four yeah. um, on twenty bucks, and that's yeah. how we have yeah. uh, our poor being the best word I can think of it. But our poorest people within the country also have obesity problems. That's like there's correct. no other place that right. that's the case. <laughs> uh, for a family of four, you can buy literally twenty dollars. You can get at McDonald's or Burger King or whatever for a family of four. Soda, which is obviously not the greatest. They they may offer juice now. Yeah. But in the old days, you would get the processed uh, hamburger, processed uh, potatoes, Fried. which I guess would be our vegetable. The closest thing. <laughs> and maybe maybe water. I mean, water's come up lately. Yeah. But for the most part, it was food that made you more hungry. Yeah. And it really helped. No nutritional um, value. Yeah, it really helped people sell food mm -hmm. to to you the next day yeah and then of course i don't think people were keeping track of with the health inequities built into the system to ignore the health issues of particularly women or people of color yeah um it took a while for them to figure out that these epidemic issues like you know hypertension obesity all those things mm -hmm. even little kids i mean we're looking at kids who are six years old and they're obese and yeah. they don't cook they don't 
feed themselves. Yeah. This, is, this is mom and dad who love them, mm-hmm. trying to keep them alive yeah, and not realizing that, and, that the yeah. food was not necessarily helpful. Well, because um, why would you want to take, like, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, we, this is, we don't have to talk about this, but we live in a capitalist society. So those fast food places are making so much money. They have, so no, we're never going to be like, you can't eat fast food. This is bad. No, no. It's not, you can't do it anymore. No, what you can do is hopefully reform and make them compete yeah, against one another. Yeah, you can create community efforts right. to, to dissuade people from and doing generally, that. It's surprisingly, generally it's the young people who lead the way. They're the first ones that were really into, mm. um, you know, tacos or, you know, fish tacos or, yep. or things that, you know, that would not just in these little um, wrap up five minutes later, you're finished dinner. Yeah. Um, but hopefully we'll do things. There's a new bill on this up at the state house to require uh, culinary education, cooking education in mm. all high schools. Because oh, wow. most kids don't That's know amazing. how to cook. I mean, I have pictures of in our cooking class at Shea High where, you know, like football guys are still in uniform and they're in there cooking away because wow. they, they know at the end of that, they're going to, what they cook, they get to eat. Yep. And believe it or not, surprisingly, um, one of the, biggest places in the spectrum of students or kids in school where there's acute hunger is in uh, athletics kids don't you know they're they just don't have food they're always hungry calories in calories out yeah Yeah, and then you know they don't feed them before they don't feed them afterwards you're sort of on your own so we experienced you know in fact that's been one of the things we talked to people at the uh some of the neighborhood um sports venues you know whether it's the elmwood little league or yeah what have you um so you got to feed these guys you got to mm-hmm. feed them you got to feed them good food you got to yep. feed them before they practice after, after they, they practice, practice the next morning the game. <laughs> right. so yeah. they can rest and it's a perpetual thing yeah <laughs> right. yeah the trick for us at Southside community land trust is working so that the farmers get paid and mm-hmm. we have an economic basis for yep. food growing and they have a reason to keep growing mm-hmm. and growing and selling and people don't have to overpay and an, mm-hmm. oftentimes don't have to pay at all yep. to get the fresh healthy food mm-hmm. because um we can't we won't have the food if the farmers don't get paid but but these kids have to eat yeah yeah <laughs> you know, these kids yeah. have to eat or whoever whoever yeah, yeah everybody everybody yeah. has to eat yeah. and so we're trying to do we're trying to do two things at the same time build an economic system yep provide food for farmers yeah um, and build a food economy yep but not leave anybody out right. that's like you have a lot on your plate the uh you have <laughs> brought up that like uh, a lot of the stuff happens with young people mm-hmm. um and i've noticed a change too in the type of restaurants mm-hmm. so like the farm to table restaurant become has become more popular there's not a ton of them but there's more than there was when i was a kid yeah. i'll tell you that much and i yeah. and those are what we were talking about earlier how there's certain things that's available different times of the year and certain things that aren't one of the reasons i like those places is you go in and the menu changes and the menu changes because right. they only cook with things that they can actually get from local farmers <laughs> right. that's right so like yeah. you're getting back to like what you know one what people's homes used to be like but also yeah. what restaurants were like for a very long time yeah. like, right you're yeah. eating parsnips right yeah you're, you're eating rutabagas you're eating what's again. available yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and it Not makes you try new things and uh, a good cook or a good chef or however you want to put it right um will make dishes that maybe you've never tried before or mm. or 
because of the seasonal food, it's the way the dish was actually meant to be made. Right. But um, not everybody always has access to whatever rutabagas, yeah. let's say. Yeah. And that's the was the main ingredient. So like you can it changes things considerably. And I would assume that one of the main reasons that farm to table restaurants are coming back is because young people want them. Correct. Yeah. Right. You're you're right. you're restaurant going population tends to be in that like 35 to 55 range right. uh, and then you do have like the older folks too but um they typically older folks in restaurants tend to go to the same places they've been oh, going right to yeah. it's, a, it's a yes a, we do i know we kind of went um not in a straight line here which is like very normal for us but i feel like <laughs> yeah, Rochelle, we meander. yeah we meander i feel like before we start to wrap up because we've had you guys for quite a while almost an hour that went by so fast didn't it yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. Have fun? um i just want to know a little bit about your background i know you're from providence you said you worked in within the school well, district. I'm actually a Midwesterner by oh. by birth, or I grew up, I was born in St. Louis, but oh. I don't remember a lot about it. I was probably four or five when I grew up. But okay. then my, my family is typical African-American family from the 50s, yep. uh, started out in, in Arkansas, you know, Jim Crow and the Black Codes kind of mm -hmm. made it rough for family members, so they... Uh, bit by bit began to migrate toward the north yep. mostly my uncles and my father and them were chasing um jobs in the trade in the transit industry yeah so they were pullmen and as they traveled and uh, tr did work on the trains they began to realize what cities and towns where job centers were yeah so suddenly you know a big crop of folks decided to head towards pittsburgh for the mm. steel mills one of the few places where african-american men and and their counterparts white or black were yep. paid the same mm. so they all headed up for the steel mills and then of course the steel economy fell apart the mm -hmm. rest belt industry yeah fell apart but um by that time my folks were had been there for a couple of at least 20 years uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, Akron, Aliquippa, Cleveland, yeah. Toledo, places like that where those types of jobs were. My mother and father uh, probably were the, were the few of the family, um, that generation at least, um, that went to college. And mm -hmm. so both of them um, had decent jobs. My mom was a med tech and she mm -hmm. got a job with the VA. So I ended up we ended up in Indiana um, at the Veterans Administration there. So growing up in Indiana was kind of <laughs> interesting. It's the first time I was face-to-face -face with John Birch Society and Ku Klux Klan and yeah. people like that. So it, it kind of, you know, it put an interesting twist because I was used to a fairly segregated society that uh -huh. had poverty. But, you know, they also had middle-class folks. They had, you know, every, I, every doctor I ever had until I was – you know, in Indianapolis was a black doctor, mm -hmm. dentist, black, you know, everybody was black, yeah. every, every professionally or um, what have you. Mm -hmm. um, so I came here, uh, my mom and my sisters, my uh, my mother insisted that myself and my sisters all had to go to college, which mm. neither one of us really expected to to do other, other than the fact that our mother said we should do it. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to go to a, a historically black college, and she was adamant that I go to an Ivy League school. So um, me and my sisters all went to Ivy League schools. And when I left Wellesley, I'd never left Boston. I mean, I went home for a couple of years. Yeah. I'd always be around if my mom was when before she passed. 
But uh, my friends and my kinship and my community was pretty much in the Northeast. Mm. I came to Rhode Island um, as a, a worker, believe oh. it or not. My company was invited to Rhode Island to establish what we call the infrastructure for affordable housing community yeah. and okay. financing. So that's what I spent uh, about 20, 25 years doing uh, uh, affordable housing, underwriting, financing, mm -hmm. uh, lending, things of that nature. Mm. Uh, it was an eye opener because the set of skills are great. You get a good job, you get a good, you get decent pay. But the consequences of the work we do is so in, enormous. Mm. I mean, if we concentrate affordable housing in certain neighborhoods, then we are concentrating poverty. Mm. If we concentrate affordable housing and not talk about schools, we're looking at the consequences to the schools. Mm. So I began to see all the other connections. You know, we're, we may be, you know, the easiest houses to, uh, create are the ones that have some economic you know upside so mm -hmm. twos and threes are a lot better than fours and fives yeah. so you don't find large apartments yeah. in these portfolios mm -hmm. we take five years to develop 30 units i mean that's ridiculous yeah. so you know the things that you do and you learn along the way as you're creating this industry kind of help inform the way you want to see the future mm -hmm. and for me what i wanted to see in the future of affordable housing was um, a, an industry that was surrounded by other good things, good yeah. schools, yep. good healthy environment, um, good commerce, uh, economic opportunities for mm -hmm. small business and individuals. I needed some level of compassion and support for young people, older mm -hmm. people. So once uh, I started doing that, that's how I pretty much got interested in the eclectic things that were going on in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. like the these crazy kids gardening and, <laughs> <laughs> and all my friends from, you know, Liberia or, you know, DR yeah. ranting and raving about being able to grow their bananas. I'm like, yeah, who cares? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. But here I have one. I was like, oh, I don't know about that. It's kind of slimy. But <laughs> 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 no, it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, right? yeah. But, you know, if I think if you just keep the lens that you work under mm. or, or you live with uh, focused on, things that are greater than you that you know you know we're all important but i think yeah. there are things that are more important always pushing other, forward always wanting better mm -hmm. so yeah so i spend a lot of time i mean you know i'm a kind of a weird person i have a lot of degrees and a lot of high-end education at the same yeah. time i'm pretty much a poor person <laughs> um but i have this the the wherewithal to be able to sort of not be unhappy and mm -hmm. be focused on uh, what's not um what's not as um with w w the deprivation i'm not yeah. as focused on 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 what i don't have as much as what i try to understand what i do have and mm. i think having good neighbors having good friends uh having a strong community having good schools yeah having teachers who are healthy and not insane it's really <laughs> overworked on the page <laughs> oh right right you know that's a big that's a big plus having yeah. politicians who are pretty you know, committed to integrity and honesty. That yeah. that's a that's a nice bonus. Yeah. Um, and you're creating both of you and your teams are creating those spaces for people. Hopefully, yeah. And I mean, very clearly, that's that's what, what's happening. And honestly, like I know, I know it started. You know, what I think you said, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when you 40, the first wait, the first oh, the 40, 81. 81. Oh, oh, so I'm so sorry. So four years ago, yeah, and yeah, but the, the the ten years ago is when we did have this sort of shift. We had the shift, she's, 
but like you i mean i feel like it's only getting better like bigger and those i think having like what you're saying like having the bigger picture in mind and and having a focus but also letting your focus like be conscious of that bigger picture like Mm -hmm. clearly you guys are doing that with communities and with gardening and these are all little things that by themselves like you said like if you just focus on one thing it's gonna omit the other things if you just focus on this thing and you're doing a such an incredible job of connecting the dots and giving kids communities elderly people who want to plant people who want to eat plants like people who want (laughs) to sell plants like everyone's getting the opportunity to thrive in this space and that's that's the community part of it it. it's a community that's building our mission our work our organization it's a community's building its own community Mm. and rochelle and i are here because we have been entrusted right now with leadership in certain areas yeah like sort of like this certain type of leadership mm. but the leaders are all, all are over the com- are yeah all are the over. community or yeah. everyone who's yeah. a part of it yeah. and show up every day to sell right. their produce who plant their produce the kids who to chop it up. to chop it <laughs> yeah. to, to deliver it um i have to ask one silly question if that's okay yes are you both good gardeners she is. I'm not. I have to ask. I'm not. I'm no? definitely not. not I, I follow my sister. My sister's a great gardener. My yeah. mother was a gardener. I can remember her being up at six in the morning before we went to school, coming in the door from gardening in the backyard. <sighs> but, um, but you know, part of my dilemma was, you know, growing up as a typical American kid, you know, I was dirt averse. Mm. So... Not like in dirt is a real handicap. It is a handicap in gardening. I think dirt is the most important part of gardening. And I can remember my mother marching me and it's like, you pick those, you cultivate those carrots, you pull pull the carrots out. I'm like, but there's dirt on them. And, uh, uh, but over the years I realized what that was. Um, it doesn't mean I like dirt any more than I did, but I'm willing to put up with it. You're willing to go over it. Right. But my sister is a big gardener. And so I go to hers. I want to just say in closing, (laughs) this is so hilarious. I'm such the executive director. But listen, the reason why Mm. I have good plants and I have a thriving garden is because I get my plants from the south side mattress at the plant sale. Weekend after Mother's Day. We love that. Yeah, Yeah, the plant sale. Yeah, now 30 years old. I was going to say, this has been going on for a long time. I love the flyers that you post. Thank you. They're very sweet. They're they're so cute. Yeah. It's the, say that again, the Sunday after Mother's Day? It's the Saturday and And Sunday Sunday after after Mother's Mother's Day. Day. And you can get details at our website, southsideclt.org. I love that. Matt, you both are inspirational, fantastic, and so much fun to talk with. (laughs) Um, I'm really happy that you both came here. And I love, you know, we don't always do like a two-person guest thing, but I love when we do it because it's so fun to hear different sides and different reasons and different missions and different experiences. And I love that, Mm -hmm. especially with something as community-focused as Southside Community Land Trust. Like, it's great to have... multiple voices talking about it. I love that. Yeah, yeah and um, just before we wrap up, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, on behalf of the the land trust, is there anything that we didn't ask about that you yeah. were excited to talk about and you wanted to just touch on before we finished up? We or went in so we many kinda... directions with our conversation. <laughs> well, we did build a healthy food hub yes. in South Providence at 404 Broad Street. Mm-hmm. And we are right now we have construction crews finishing up three spaces that will house two cafes, 
and a and a market. Wow. The first cafe is Adina Marcelino's Cafe Black Beans PVD. Yeah. 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 The second is Darrell Douglas's second location, D's Spot. Yeah. Um, he's in Pawtucket now. Mm-hmm. And then the third Great. is Luna Walker's Market, um, which is like an, a West African superstore. Amazing. That's yeah. Cool. And so they will all be buying food from our food oh hub goodness. and making it available at affordable prices. Wow. To people who can shop. So in June, July, August, sometime Mm. in the summer, we're going to have a big grand opening (gasps) party. Everybody listening should come. Everyone go. Go to our website, southsideclt.org. Get on our mailing list. Yep. And um, so that you can come for the big party because it's going to be so cool. It's going to be so we, fun. We have yeah. some pretty rocking parties. I'm going to oh. tell you. The food is always it's delicious. I was going to say, that's it's the food off is. the hook all the time. Yeah. yeah. Chef's kiss. I love that. Yeah. Right. I love this. <laughs> right. This is so much fun. And thank you for <laughs> closing us out with an important information. <laughs> that's right. Like I said, we start these conversations and we just talk about other things. and yeah. But all things that are meaningful and all things that are part of your story. So sure. they're worth hearing and they're worth talking about. But every once in a while, we miss yeah, we gotta make sure we check in. At the end <laughs> we gotta do the check in. We gotta do the check in. Um, but thank you both so much for coming. You're welcome. We're so excited to I see you. I appreciate this being my first podcast. Yeah, you did amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pretty cool. You did so Probably well. the standard is the bar is way too high now. So <laughs> you did so. Both of you did incredibly. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. For I love us. it. My favorite is when people come on that that have not done podcasts or like are unsure, and then they're just like killing it, killing it, <laughs> killing it, and that is what you. It's. It's the best. This has been so much fun. Thanks. I'm so happy. Thanks yeah, for course, having me. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, well, thanks guys so much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. TTYL. TTYL. <laughs> thanks. Bye.